Welcome to the Irish Life Podcast. Today we have markets update from Irish Life Investment Managers, presented by Michael Hayes, Investment Development Manager, and Lenny McLaughlin, Chief Investment Strategist. Uh, and thank you all for joining us again for our latest uh, markets update webinar. Uh, here again with Lenny, so thanks to Lenny too for joining us. Um, so we might as well uh, just jump straight into, I suppose, where we are in markets uh, right now, Lenny. It's been a very turbulent period. We're just coming up to the end of the second quarter. And uh, I suppose early on when the virus uh, really took hold, it looked like uh, and still looks like we'll have the worst recession since the 30s, although um, equity market performance uh, doesn't doesn't maybe uh, reflect that. So maybe Lenny will take us uh, up to date on where we are now. Sure, Michael. Good morning, everybody. And uh, as you said, Michael, you know, when you look at this chart here, we kind of question what, what crisis have we been through when we see equity markets only down just uh, around 6% year to date. And that kind of masks when you look, go back to March when we had the, the quickest equity market bear correction we've ever seen when markets were down over 32% in the space of less than five weeks. And since then, we've had enormous recovery in equity markets. They've rallied about 34% from those March lows. As I said, leaving us down just 6% year to date and about 10% off the, the all-time highs that we hit in mid-February. And a couple of reasons behind that rally that we've seen. One has been the huge levels of fiscal and monetary stimulus that we've seen that have provided, provided a foundation for recovering growth through the second half of this year uh, and into next year. And that's contributed to the rally that we've seen. Secondly, as part of that stimulus, the level of liquidity being provided by central banks finding its way into markets, both equities and bonds, has been very, very positive for, for both asset classes, particularly equities, through the second quarter. And last Lastly, I would say economies have begun to reopen quicker than people had originally anticipated. And with that, there's been an increasing sense, I would say, around the outlook for growth through the second half of the year. When you look at the chart here, Michael, uh, you can see that the US uh, continues to outperform as it has since late March. That really is driven by its heavy weight in tech, uh, but also the commitment and the scale of the stimulus coming through from the US authorities, both on the fiscal side and the monetary side, has been greater than what you've seen elsewhere. So that's been a positive for the US market. When you look at the equity side of things in terms of the underperformers, the UK, uh, about two thirds of the way along the chart here, stands out to the downside. It has underperformed. The UK has found itself uh, at the epicenter of the virus outbreak across Europe uh, with the largest number of infections and largest number of fatalities across Europe uh, and also Brexit uncertainty has acted as a drag of the UK equity market. Uh, the other big performer within equities is the Pacific Basin about a third of the way across here. You can see it's underperformed. That really down to two things. Hong Kong, a big market within the region has been caught uh, between the tensions between the US and China uh, but also Australia has been hit by the weakness that we've seen in commodity prices year to date. So so those two markets are quite large within the Pacific Basin and, and act as a drag for that region. When we look at the far right of the chart here, Michael, you can see fixed income markets generally have done better than equity markets. Uh, one area that has actually produced a positive return is the over five-year benchmark across Europe, what we have seen with the onset of recession, but also with the sheer level of asset purchases being done by central banks globally. What we have seen is that yields and sovereign bond markets have fallen year to date. And that's contributed to that positive return uh, in the over five-year benchmark. When we look at investment-grade corporate bonds, the second last bar here, uh, yes, they're down year-to-date, but they have recovered from their lows when they were down about 7 or 8%. Spreads did widen initially, but have narrowed over the recent months as central banks have continued to buy investment-grade corporate bonds, but also uh, as fear of defaults and ease with the better economic outlook now compared to where we were uh, through the first quarter. That's been a positive uh, for investment-grade bonds. Uh, 
uh, contributed to that rally. And then lastly, you can see emerging market debt in euro terms is down year to date. In local currency terms, it's up. Uh, yields there have fallen as they have elsewhere. But what we have seen, Michael, is weakness in emerging market currencies. And hence, uh, in euro terms, we've seen a negative uh, return from uh, emerging market debt uh, year to date. Okay, that's great, Lenny. Thanks. Uh, and just in terms of the coronavirus numbers, I know we're over 10 million now, and I think it took us uh, three months to get to the first million, and in just a week to uh, reach the latest million. There's uh, some new cases peaking, I think, globally at about 180,000, the highest number per day over the last uh, over the weekend so uh, maybe just bring us up to date on where we are now then please yeah sure so there's a lot more focus over the last two weeks or so on, on the the case numbers so what i've done here on the chart on the left is just shown the the global new daily cases uh, which the blue line just for comparison purpose purposes shown the irish daily uh, figures as well which is the green line on the right hand scale and you can see in ireland as we've seen across the rest of europe those case numbers have continued to come down and have held at very very low levels case numbers in Ireland are kind of low double digits now at this stage. So across Europe and Ireland, we have contained the virus and shown an ability to do so. Now, when you look at the chart on the left, part of the reason why markets began to rally in late March, early April, you can see it here, uh, Michael, was that we began to see a stabilization of those global uh, case numbers. And with that, there was a sense at the time that the restrictions that had been put in place to contain the virus could be lifted and eventually were lifted. Uh, and that, as I said, was one of the catalysts for, for, the, uh, for the rally that we began to see in equity markets from, from late March onwards. Now, we have seen since the middle of May a doubling in, in global case numbers coming through, uh, but nevertheless, markets have remained relatively resilient. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, yes, there's a huge human cost in terms of that doubling of new case numbers. However, I would say those case numbers are coming through in regions which have a relatively low share of global GDP and a low share of financial markets globally. And as a result of that, it's been ignored to some extent uh, by financial markets over the last month or so as those case numbers have doubled uh, as you mentioned. The other thing I would say when we look at the chart on, on the right, this probably highlights this more, even as case numbers have risen globally and in the US, there is a sense that we may not necessarily go back to those blanket shutdowns and restrictions that we had on a national basis uh, through March and April. And that if case numbers continue to rise, what we could see is the reimposition of restrictions more targeted and more of a local nature than a national nature. So hence the impact on growth may not be as great if you do see restrictions being reimposed as you've begun to see in the US. Now, yes, we've definitely seen those case numbers rise in the US. You've seen record levels, so we're back up at about 45,000 compared to a run rate of about 20,000 only a week and a half, two weeks ago. But the key metric, I would say, that markets are looking at or investors are looking at, Michael, at the moment is rather than the case numbers, is the hospitalization numbers. So, Investors are looking at the stresses on the hospital or the health system. And while those case numbers have definitely risen in the States, we're not necessarily seeing uh, hospitalization numbers rise across a large number of states to the point where you're seeing stresses on the healthcare system. Now, we're definitely seeing it in a number of states in the likes of Texas and Arizona. Uh, and in Houston, there's a suggestion that capacity usage in uh, ICU units is about 95%. So we're getting close to threshold levels, I would say, in a couple of states. And we have seen 12 states across the US actually pause or uh, 
reintroduce restrictions because of those case numbers rising and because of the pressures that we're seeing uh, on the health system. But the key metric to look at, Michael, uh, rather than the case numbers themselves, is the hospitalization numbers and the usage within the health system. And that really is going to be key going forward. Uh, now, it is worrying and, uh, and concerning that the case numbers have risen to the extent that they have in the States. Some of it is down to increased testing, but definitely, as I said, you were seeing uh, a, an increased number of positive readings coming through and an increase in hospitalizations across a number of states. So there is an underlying increase in virus cases across the states and, and our markets will continue to closely watch that metric uh, in coming days and weeks. And I suppose the rally has really been driven by the unprecedented measures that have been taken globally. I think you were mentioning in a figure of, of, of a, spend, a global spend of about seven trillion potentially uh, this year. So maybe take us through some of those. Yeah, so the, the chart on the left, Michael, just looks at the fiscal deficits that have been announced in various countries uh, year to date. Uh, and two things. One is just the unprecedented level of stimulus we're seeing both in the fiscal and the monetary side of things, but also the, the speed at which the authorities responded was much faster this time around than what we saw in previous crises, particularly the, the global financial crisis. So looking at the fiscal side of things, uh, on average across the globe at the moment, we're seeing deficits running at about 12 to 13 percent of GDP on average, uh, way above what we saw in the financial crisis in the US. The deficit is going to be around 18 percent of GDP this year. That compares to about 5 percent of the height of the financial crisis. So much greater levels of stimulus coming through on the, on the fiscal side of things. And what we're seeing is supports both to consumers in terms of income subsidies, but also to individual corporates and, and individual sectors, which are most badly hit by the virus. On the monetary side of things, as you mentioned, we're seeing increasing levels of asset purchases. Uh, the Fed has announced an open-ended asset purchase program indicating it will do uh, or buy as much as is needed over the whatever length is needed to ensure that there's a robust recovery in the US economy. Uh, interest rates have been cut to new all-time lows, but particularly as well, the supports have been quite evident in the funding market. Uh, what the measures have done, both from central banks and from the governments, is to ensure that funding markets for corporates have remained open and operational so that they have had access to credit and the types of things they've done here is provide guarantees for lending, uh, stepped into the investment grade and high yield market uh, for the first time ever in the case of the, of the Fed uh, to keep yields low uh, to levels whereby corporates can continue to fund themselves in the market. So all these have really ensured that both consumers and corporates have been able to come through the very, very difficult patch we've had on the economy. On the economy. Uh, and, you know, they've survived, uh, reduced the levels of insolvencies that we've seen, ensure that economic agents, as I said, have been in a position to reactivate as the economy has, re has reopened. Okay, uh, I suppose the next thing then, we're just going to look at the, the asset classes themselves. So equities are on, I think uh, global equities are saying are about 17% this quarter, US equities about 20%. So it's going to be a very strong quarter despite the... Uh, the very weak first quarter, so maybe just give us a look at where, where we are now in terms of valuations. Obviously, that's moved up quite a bit. Sure. So, so valuations, as you can see in the chart here, have definitely risen. So that's down to two things. One has been the rally from the lows, but also what you have seen through the year, Michael, is that earnings forecasts have been downgraded because of the recession that we have entered uh, this year. At the beginning of the year, the expectation was earnings globally would grow by about 10%. As of now, the expectation is earnings would contract by about 19% this year. Our own sense is that earnings probably would contract a little bit more than that, so we're probably still going to see earnings downgrades coming through over the next six months. We 
we'll get a better sense of where the earnings backdrop is when we see the second quarter reporting season, which begins in the States about two or three weeks' time. But on the back of all those, what you've seen as of last night on the basis of consensus forecasts, the P multiple on uh, the 12-month forward basis for global equities is trading at 19 times, which compares to a long-term average of 15 and a half times. Now, if you use what we believe are more realistic earnings forecasts of about 35% contraction in earnings this year, that P multiple goes to about 20 and a half times. So well above the long-term average and back into the territory that we last saw through the tech bubble, you know, in the late uh, 90s and early noughties. So on an absolute basis, Michael, equities do look expensive at these levels. Uh, when you look at other valuation metrics, be it dividend yield, we're currently at a dividend yield of about 2.25%. Long-term average is 2.6%. Price to book, we're at about 2.35 times. Long-term average is 2.17. When you look at those and a number of other valuation metrics in absolute terms, just given the rally that we've had and, you know, the downgrades to forecasts that have come through, uh, equities do look expensive expensive at, at the levels that we're at in equity markets currently. I suppose as well, particularly in the US, the rally has been quite narrow in terms of the not all the names, uh, the tech names leading the rally very, very strongly. Yeah, so it, it has been quite narrow, the, the move that you've seen in equity markets year, year to date, particularly focused on the tech side, as you mentioned. When you look at the fangs in, in, the, in the US in particular, so the S&P as of last night, year to date, is down about 5%. Uh, the fangs uh, have contributed a positive 4% to the S&P. So said when you strip out those, you know, you, you are seeing, you know, a quite concentrated market performance and, 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 and much, uh, I suppose, lower returns and weakness elsewhere in the market. Market. So it, it, it has been distorted, I suppose, and, and quite concentrated in terms of where that performance has come from. Now, it has broadened out a little bit more from the middle of May onwards in that you have seen more participation from the other cyclical sectors. But nevertheless, even with that increased participation since the middle of May, the, 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 as you said, the performance is still quite concentrated within the techs and the fangs in particular. Okay, and um, this next slide was interesting. You showed us uh, recently, and it basically kind of followed the money, so all of the, the fiscal and, and monetary spend that has taken place over the last probably since the financial crisis and how markets are, are very much correlated to the, to the level of spend. Yeah, so, so we mentioned in the previous slide that equity markets look expensive in absolute terms and, and despite that markets have continued to go up and the real drivers of support of the markets have been two things. One has been the relative valuation of equities versus bonds and cash. So while equities look expensive in absolute terms, as we showed uh, on the previous chart, they do look very cheap versus equity or versus bonds and cash because of the low yields that you're now getting uh, from your deposits or from investing in fixed income markets with yields down to close to all-time lows. And because your dividend yield in equities, even though it is below the long-term average, it's at 2.25%, that relative to what you get in bonds and cash is quite attractive. So, so that's been a big, big support for equities and continues to be a support. The other big support Support, Michael, as you mentioned, is just the level of liquidity being provided by central banks. So we go back to April, the, the Fed at the peak, Michael, the Fed were buying between 450 and 500 billion of assets per week. We look at the financial crisis when they introduced the various QE programs then, the Fed was buying between 8 and 900 billion over 9 or 12 months. So enormous levels of QE being done by, by the Fed in, in early April. The, the run rate 
over the course of 12 months, given what the Fed have done uh, and what other central banks are doing, over 12 months, you're probably going to see central banks' balance sheets increase by about 7 trillion. Now, the run rate has definitely reduced compared to where it was in April. So the, the Fed at the moment are buying, uh, and have indicated they will continue to buy around 120 billion per month. Uh, so that is a run rate of about 6% compared to what they were doing back in April. But that's still, nevertheless, is, is still quite high. So overall, across central banks, the run rate now, when you look at all global central banks, the run rate is about three trillion, uh, which is back up towards the kind of highs that we saw post the financial crisis. And on the basis of the relationship that we've seen in terms of year on year changes in global equity markets against the run rate of uh, global banks' central uh, asset purchases, uh, you can see there's a strong correlation between the two. Uh, and that would still suggest that there is upside in equity markets uh, from current levels, you know, up to maybe 20% from, from current levels. Now, there is a slight caveat, I would say, Michael. One is that, you know, when we go back to 2013, 2014, the market cap of global equities is now about 30% higher than it was then. Also, uh, the level of buybacks in the US has definitely uh, fallen compared to its peak back in 2018. The run rate now is about five to 600 billion below where it was then. And that's been a big support for equity markets as well, a big provider of liquidity. So when you net all those out, there still is a lot of liquidity out there, which is supportive of equity markets. It may not be as high as, as the level of central bank purchases is suggesting, given those other things that I mentioned. But nevertheless, it is supportive of equity markets and still suggests that they should be higher th th than here. So you have that two-way pull in terms of valuations. There is still a disconnect between equity valuations and, 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 and levels of markets compared to where the economic backdrop is. But the big, big supports, as you mentioned, are you know this level of liquidity, but also that relative valuation for equity. So we have this two-way pull in, in, in equity markets at the moment. Okay, and uh, I suppose last week we saw equities uh, selling off uh, for the week. And... You mentioned earlier there about potential second waves and some of the states having to lock down again. And there's even been some talk of maybe more, even more stimulus measures. Is, is that realistic, do you think, or is it kind of wait and see? Uh, I, I, I think if you see increasing concern about the pace of recovery and growth. So, so at the moment, what you have seen as, as economies began to reopen and initially we didn't see any pickup in cases. Optimism grew, I would say, around the outlook for growth through the second half of this year and into next year. And you did see some increase of forecasts for, for, for the global economy. If you do see case numbers continue to rise, and as you said, you see in an increasing number of states either pause or roll back in terms of those easing of restrictions that we've seen coming through. If that continues to happen uh, on a wider scale, then that obviously would raise questions over the pace of growth you know, through the second half of this year and into next year. The authorities, both on the fiscal and monetary side, particularly in the US, have indicated that if that were to happen and if there were increasing concerns and questions around the level of growth, that they will do more. So I do believe that if you do see some shocks to you know, the, the outlook for growth, the outlook for earnings and shocks in terms of that then leading to corrections in, in, in markets, particularly equities, I do believe you will see additional stimulus coming through uh, from both fiscal and monetary. Now, the, the monetary authorities have been suggesting that the, the fiscal authorities can do more and should do more. So you, 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 you could see more coming through on that side, but, but as I said, I do believe you will see more on both fiscal and monetary coming through if, if we see uh, increasing concerns around what uh, the case numbers are doing or what that implies for, for the econ economic backdrop. 
Okay, great, thanks. And uh, just the next slide, in terms of fixed income, so fixed income initially sold off as well and spreads moved out and um, that has been controlled somewhat, particularly on the, the support programs uh, that we've seen in, in Europe. Yes, so fixed income generally, Michael, has said it, it, it has been supported by the, by the level of asset purchases being done by central banks. So, so over the next 12 months or so, even with a recovery in growth, we, we see limited upside in terms of yields uh, because of the sheer level of asset purchases being done. So the, the ECB in particular has indicated uh, that this new pandemic emergency purchase program, uh, it has increased that to 1.3 trillion euros out to June next year. Uh, so that's going to continue to be a, a big level of buying within the marketplace. And as a result of that, even with the improved economic outlook, as I said, through the second half of this year, we think yields in Germany, 10-year yields in Germany, will be around where they are now in 12 months' time. Uh, so as of today, they're about a negative 45 basis points. We'll think we'll be, we believe they'll be around that level in 12 months' time as well. And similarly, in the US, 10-year yields there are about 60 to 65 basis points. We think there'll be a similar level in 12 months' time. The real action, we think, Michael, uh, with in fixed income in Europe in particular is in the peripheral market. So you can see in the chart here on the left, uh, those spreads, Italy being the blue line, Spain being the green line, 10-year spreads against Germany uh, over the last number of months. They have been volatile year to date, but more recently they have begun to narrow. And that's been driven by two things in particular. One has been that increased level of asset purchases announced by the ECB, which is positive for, for fixed income markets, but peripherals in particular. Uh, and notably, I would say, because the ECB has indicated within this PEP program, the PEP program, uh, they have flexibility in the short term in terms of targeting it towards individual assets or particular regions. So that has been positive for the peripheral markets. Uh, the second thing uh, and the notable thing, Michael, is this proposed EU recovery fund, uh, which includes 500 billion of grants. Now, this is quite important because for the first time, what you're seeing here effectively is fiscal transfer transfers from the core to peripheral markets or debt sharing across Europe. Uh, and this is a quite positive step in terms of integration across Europe of the, the, the medium to long term. Uh, and with that, what you've seen is peripheral spreads have narrowed, as you can see in the chart on the left. And we believe uh, with those two programs in place uh, that those peripheral spreads can continue to narrow uh, going forward. So we do believe that within the fixed income space, uh, where, where you would see continued positive returns is, is in the peripheral areas where those spreads can continue to narrow, we believe, because of those two big steps forward on, on the policy side of things. Just looking at the right here, Michael, just looking at investment grade corporate bond spreads, you can see that they uh, widened significantly when the crisis began, particularly in the US, which is the blue line. Uh, the ECB at the time was buying investment grade corporate bonds. The Fed wasn't. So you saw a, a greater widening in spreads in the US. In the meantime, the Fed have indicated have started buying investment grade corporate bonds, as I mentioned earlier. And with that, spreads have narrowed in the US particularly. In particular. But, you know, as the outlook for growth has continued to improve, as fears of defaults have eased, and as the central banks have continued to buy investment grade corporate bonds, we've continued to see those spreads narrow. And we think that part of the market will continue to to be supported by central banks as they continue to be actively involved in, in that part of the market. Okay, great, thanks. Um, I suppose we've looked globally and uh, we wanted to ask you to, to look maybe a bit closer to home now. Obviously, we've had more opening up measures in the last couple of days. Uh, so we've asked you to look at the, the Irish economy and the effect of the Irish economy and some of the, the measures that we've had and then some of the impact of those on, on the uh, projected growth figures for the domestic economy. 
Sure. So, so just looking at some of the stimulus measures that you've seen here, Michael, so similar to elsewhere, uh, Ireland has introduced a number of packages and I kind of give them broad outlines of the, of the main packages here. Um, so, you know, we've seen employment benefits or subsidies coming through the pandemic unemployment uh, payment and the uh, uh, temporary uh, wage subsidy scheme coming through. Initially, these were planned to last until June. They've been extended out to August. The initial estimate of those was about 4.8 billion. So I've kind of uh, assumed uh, and tried to prorate that out to uh, August in terms of the impact or the size of that, which is about six and a half billion. Now, other elements within the kind of benefits that have been given to the consumers, uh, there was a kind of a temporary suspension of property taxes that was delayed by about three months. Similarly, credit card stamp duty was it was delayed by three months as well. You saw relief in terms of mortgage interest payments. Uh, you've seen uh, relief in terms of tax payments and rate payments for corporates as well. You've also seen direct supports being given to the health sector and also a package was announced about a month and a half ago by the government in terms of providing credit guarantees similar to what you've seen elsewhere across the world for corporates uh, providing facilities for capital injections uh, where required into individual corporates uh, and grants to help restart operations after the, the shutdowns and uh, uh, tax forbearance as i mentioned earlier as well so, so all those packages in total add up to about 15 billion or just under five percent of gdp in, in terms in terms of the fiscal deficit this, this year in Ireland, it probably is going to be around 8.5% of GDP because you have other automatic stabilizers coming in, You've re uh, receipts been reduced because of the, the, the contraction that you're going to see in growth this year. So overall, the, the level of deficit at about 8.5% 8 of GDP this year is somewhat similar around the average that you're seeing across Europe. Uh, so we've seen similar types of measures being introduced here in Ireland in terms of government support that you've seen elsewhere across Europe. So, so, so no different really to what we've seen elsewhere. And then obviously there's been an impact on sentiment from all of these measures in the lockdowns, Lenny. Yeah, so similar to what we've seen elsewhere, the, the trough in the Irish economy it was probably April. Now, we do have a little bit of a delay in some of the figures coming through for Ireland compared to elsewhere. So what I've shown here on the left, Michael, is PMIs. Just a reminder uh, to people, the PMIs are surveys that are done at corporates monthly. They're asked what you know the current conditions are for their business and the outlook going forward. The way they're constructed is anything above 50 suggests uh, the economy is going to expand, below 50 is going to contract. As you saw across the world, uh, we saw uh, those PMIs crash or plummet in, in, in April to all-time lows. You can see them here in the mid-teens for the main ones in Ireland. They did rebound in May. We've seen flash PMIs come through in Europe uh, last week and they're up in the kind of mid-40s because uh, Ireland kind of delayed the reopening relative to the, the rest of Europe. While we will get an improvement again in the PMIs uh, for Ireland in June when they come through, they may not be as high as those that you've seen in Europe last week. So we may get up into the high 30s, low 40s. But definite signs of improvement coming through in terms of those indicators. Uh, and we'd expect that to continue in coming months. Uh, I've shown the Bank of Ireland Pulse survey on the right here, similar to what you saw in the PMIs. Felt new all-time lows in April, but we have begun to see, see a rebound in terms of those sentiment indicators coming through as the economy has begun to reopen and activity levels have begun to rebound. Uh, so we are beginning to see a pickup in activity, but nevertheless, uh, the, the economy is still expected to contract to the year as a whole, uh, you know, just given the weakness that we saw through the, the latter part of the first quarter and the early part of the second quarter in particular. 
Okay, great, thanks. And then obviously there's been a huge impact on employment uh, and the unemployment rate. Uh, I think the figures were slightly down on the pandemic payment uh, in the last week, but maybe you'll have a look at that for us, please, Lenny. Yeah, so so looking at the official unemployment data, Michael, it, it, it distorts the, the, the picture to some extent in that it's not capturing really what's going on. So the headline unemployment rate has only jumped from about 4.8% to 5.6%. Uh, now that does not include the pandemic unemployment payment scheme and the temporary wage subsidy scheme that we mentioned earlier. What I've shown on the right is the most recent figures that we have in terms of the numbers participating in those. Now they have come down substantially. The peak in terms of the pandemic unemployment payment, uh, there were over 600,000 uh, using that at its peak in terms of the wage subsidy scheme. At its peak, about 480,000 were using it. So we have seen a dramatic fall in terms of the numbers using those. Um, the CSO has estimated uh, an adjusted unemployment rate uh, back in April, and at its peak, it estimated that unemployment was about 28% or just over 28%. And at that point, we had almost 50% of the workforce uh, using some form of subsidy or welfare payment from these various schemes. Now, we have seen a significant fall, as I said, um, the numbers have fallen by about 10% of the of, of the labour force. So as of now, it looks like maybe the real level of unemployment is about 17 or 18%. But with the last stages of reopening coming through this week, we would expect those numbers to fall again uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, even with those falls, nevertheless, Michael, there, there's still substantial weakness in the labour market. And the sense is by year end, unemployment levels will still be up at around perhaps 11 or 12 percent by year end so yes a definite improvement compared to the worst that we saw in april but you know we're still going to see spare capacity and and, and relatively high levels of unemployment by by year end even with the recovery coming through the second half of the year great thanks lenny and then i suppose the impact on growth and growth forecast is quite substantial yeah, so there are a number of forecasts out there for, for the Irish economy. Uh, what I've shown here is the official government forecast, which they made back in April. Uh, their forecast for contraction in GDP this year uh, was 10.5% contraction uh, with a recovery of 6% next year. Uh, you can see the kind of main elements of the economy in this table here. Consumption, they were suggesting was going to be down 14% for the year as a whole. Now, the first half of the year, the suggestion is consumption could be down by about 30%. Uh, on an annualised basis. The second half, obviously, we'll see recovery and we've begun to see that coming through already uh, as the labour market improves. Uh, and you know, with savings, savings rate has probably increased by 7 or 8%. So that provides a buffer into the second half of the year. So de we definitely will see an improvement to pick up in spending. And we can see that in some of the data points coming through already. What we, what we saw May spending figures, retail sales were up 29% month on month. Now they're still down by about 25, 26% year on year, but a definite significant level of improvement through May. When we look at credit card spending, at its worst, it was down 40% year on year. The most recent figures suggest it's down about 11% year on year. So yes, it's in negative territory, but you know, definite signs of a pickup coming through in the kind of the, the, the data readings that we're seeing, you know, from, from May onwards. Uh, in terms of investments, investments is probably the area where you're going to see the greatest weakness this year. So, you know, construction, the construction industry was effectively closed for, for two months. Given all the uncertainty, you know, that's been there through the first half of the year and even that, that continuing to some extent in the second half of the year, corporates will be wary, I would say, to invest uh, through 2020. So that's probably 
probably where you're going to see the greatest weakness within the major components of the Irish economy. Exports probably holding up better or more resilient than many people expected given the open nature of the Irish economy. That really reflects the defensive nature of many of our exports and pharmaceuticals and medical devices accounting for over 40% of the exports in Ireland. So with that, uh, exports, uh, the trade sector is probably going to be the one of the best performing, most more resilient of the sectors within the Irish economy uh, through 2020. Now, when you look into 21, you can see recovery across all sectors of the economy. The one area of, of reduction, I suppose, is, as you'd expect, the fiscal side of things, where after the big expansion this year, uh, you're going to see some fiscal drag next year as, as the government reigns in spending to some extent. Uh, but you will see recovery across all the other areas of the economy next year, but particularly investments, given that it lagged uh, this year, uh, as that providing that expected six percent rebound in growth uh, for 2021. Okay, great. Thanks. Let's certainly hope so. We see that bounce. Um, and just the last thing we wanted to cover was the uh, US presidential election. I think if the polls are correct and the election was today, Joe Biden would win. Uh, I know he's leading in all the key battleground states, but maybe you can just give us a, a, a view on that, Lenny, please. Yeah, so what I've done here, Michael, on the chart on the left, so the, the, the blue line represents the probability of the Democratic uh, candidate winning the election in November, and the green line is the probability of the Republican candidate winning the election now. The, the two candidates, and we know who two candidates are going to be, it's going to be Biden and Trump. Uh, they won't officially be announced by their uh, parties until the conventions in August, so hence the way the, the polls are done is, you know, it's, it's a basic Democratic rather than uh, Biden uh, and Trump uh, 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 Republican instead of Trump, but you know, particularly over the last, I would say, two months or so, what you've seen is a significant surge in terms of Biden in the polls uh, and the likelihood of him winning the election. And that's down to two things. One is the economic impact from, from the virus in the US, uh, where you've gone into a severe re recession, as you've seen elsewhere. Uh, but that's obviously had a negative impact on Trump. He had planned to run uh, a strong campaign on the strong economy that you're seeing coming into the year. And that's obviously not going to happen now. But the second thing is obviously the, the political tensions that you've seen in the US and all those two combined have significantly reduced, I would say, the chance of uh, Trump winning the election in November. What we have seen in the swing states in particular, so most states, you, you, there's the clear uh, indication in terms of which way they're going to go, Republican or Democratic, but there's probably eight or nine key swing states in terms of they're going to be the ones that determine the, the outcome of the election. And in about 90 to 95 percent of those uh, key swing states, Biden has now moved ahead and well ahead in many of those. Uh, so the polls are definitely suggesting that that, that Biden looks favoured at this stage. In terms of the outcome of the election on the market, Michael, the, the, the best outcome for the market, I would say, would be a, a Biden win uh, with a split Congress. And the reason I say that is that if Biden won, I think, you know, in terms of international relations, I, I think there would be a far more constructive engagement with international players in areas such as trade, uh, post uh, a Biden presidency as opposed to a Trump presidency, but also with a split Congress, um, Biden would not be able to implement some of the more negative policies he has uh, and their potential impact on the market. If Trump were to win, uh, I think the risk around that would be he then would not have to worry about facing the electorate in four years' time, uh, and then maybe concerned that he may become more aggressive in some of those international policies, particularly around trade. So that would be a negative or potential negative if Trump got elected. Um, 
the, the more likely outcome uh, according to the polls now, Michael, and just looking at the chart here on the right. So uh, it, it looks increasingly likely, according to the polls, uh, that the Democrats will win the Senate. And if they do that, having already controlled the House and likely to maintain control of the House, they then would have a clean sweep in terms of controlling Congress and, and having the presidency as well. And if that were the case in terms of Biden winning the, the, the election and the Democrats getting a clean sweep, both the House and the Senate, that then would make it much, much easier for Biden to introduce the tax policy proposals that he has, um, notably increasing corporate tax by 7% up to 28%, increasing capital gains tax, but also introducing uh, wealth taxes and all those would be negative for the market. Um, so that probably in the short term would be potentially the most negative outcome for the equity market, a Biden victory with a clean sweep by the Democrats. The market, I think, is only going to begin to focus on the election probably post the conventions, which happen kind of mid to late August. Uh, and then once the two candidates are formally announced and the debates start uh, and you get more focus on the actual policies, I think then the market will begin to focus more on the election. Uh, and depending on where the polls are at the time, uh, then that may have an impact in terms of where markets go between August and, and the actual election in November. Uh, but it is something that will be of increasing attention and focus I would say from from late summers on, late summer onwards. Great, thanks, Lenny. And maybe just the last slide then to try and kind of sum up overall uh, everything from today. Yeah, so uh, just quickly running through the various points. You know, the, the, one of the key issues in the short term is uh, these numbers in the states, and I said they 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 are a little bit of a concern and a worry. Not not necessarily the the case numbers themselves, because as I said earlier, even with those case numbers rising to record levels, they don't necessarily mean the blanket reimposition of restrictions across the states. But it's the pressure that you're likely to see on the health systems in individual states and the possible rowing back uh, of those opening up uh, of various states in coming weeks. If that continues, then that may raise question marks uh, over the assumed pace of recovery into the second half of the year. And, and, and that, as I said, is, is going to be the key focus for markets in, in, in the short term. That in turn feeds through, Michael, into the outlook for growth. So you have definitely seen a, an pick up relative to expectations in terms of some of the economic data from May onwards as economies globally have reopened faster than people thought. You've seen some upgrades to economic forecasts on the back of that. Uh, it, it, you know, the improvement we've seen in data may reflect some pent-up demand, uh, which may not continue at the same pace that we've seen through, you know, May and the, at the early part of June. Uh, but people will be increasingly focused in terms of where the data comes through over the next month or two, particularly if you do see, you know, some increased levels of pausing or shutdowns again coming through in the States. That, as I said, may pose risks uh, for the, the growth outlook into the second half of the year uh, and through 21. So that would be of increasing focus as well. You know, what we've seen recently is a pickup in US-China uh, tensions. So you know, Trump, as I mentioned earlier, had intended to run on the platform of a strong economy. Uh, he can't do that now. He seems to be kind of uh, pivoting towards uh, an anti-China stance, uh, and that could continue in coming months. Uh, and if that does, then that obviously could have negative implications for, for growth uh, and the outlook. We've mentioned the election. Um, you know, in terms of valuations for equity markets, they do look expensive in absolute terms here. Uh, there's a lot of good news discounted in markets. I, I do believe in a 12-month view, equity markets will be higher. 
know, when we look into next year, I do believe we'll have a vaccine. And at that point, I think things will be able to return to normal. And we, you know, we're, we've entered a new cycle. We'll, we, we should be in a period of positive growth, positive earnings growth, uh, equity markets discount forward. Uh, and at the back of that, an improvement in growth and earnings looking out over the next couple of years. Uh, I, I do believe equity markets will be higher in 12 months' time than they are now. But in the short term, given how far they've come, how quickly they've risen over the last two months or so, there is some risk, I would say, of some modest short-term setbacks if some of the risks out there around case numbers, around the election, around US-China tensions come to the fore uh, in coming weeks. And, and you could see some modest setback in, in equity markets, just where valuations are currently. But again, I, I think that's likely to be modest. You know, I think valuation levels, uh, even though they look expensive in absolute terms now, they do suggest that there is value in the S&P, you know, the 2700s uh, compared to you know, the current level of uh, about 3100. So I think any setback is, is likely to be modest if you do have a setback. Uh, and I said, I do think, you know, if you get that, that provides an opportunity, particularly uh, given that the thing, equity markets will be higher in 12 months' time than they are now. Uh, lastly, in terms of, you know, potential cure vaccine, you know, a, a, a game changer would be a vaccine, Michael. There, there's lots of developments being done on the vaccine front. The, the sense is, you know, that we will have something early next year. You know, when you look at the commentary coming through, I do think, you know, 12 months time we definitely will have a vaccine and with that in place I think then it would enable uh, things to settle back down again and we, we would then be back to normal. There's been various suggestions of potential treatments as well. We've seen a couple coming through which have reduced fatality rates by about 30%. So yes, while we have seen case numbers rise, the fatality rates have definitely reduced as well. Um, so, so, so that's been a positive as well. But the real game changer, Michael, would be, would be a vaccine if that comes through. And as I said, there is, I would say, increasing optimism, confidence that we will get something on that early next year. But definitely, you know, 12 months time, we should, we should have a vaccine. And that's why equity markets have done as well as they they have done. You know, they've they've had big big support from relative valuations, liquidity, but also they are discounting an eventual recovery coming through. Um, and hence, as I said, I do believe because of all those features that equity markets will be higher in twelve months' time, even though they they may be vulnerable in the short term uh, to some setback, modest setback, uh, just because of you know how far we've come uh, in, in a relatively short space of time and the various risks that, that are out there. Okay, that's great. Uh, we'll leave it there then. Thanks uh, everybody for joining us today. Thanks a million uh, Lenny uh, for all of that. Uh, thanks uh, Mick as well for setting it up for us and hope everybody stays well and uh, we look forward to uh, speaking to you on our next webinar. Thanks again. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Irish Life Investment Managers Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.